Hello, my name is Philip Camilla, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Now going beyond religion does not mean leaving religion behind, nor does it mean leaving God behind, Jesus Christ behind, Muhammad, Buddha, the Dalai Lama, or any other religious leader. Rather, to me at least, it means looking at religion in a new light, the spiritual traditions through a new lens, on upon a broader canvas with deeper resolution, better 3D perspective. It's about looking at the spiritual traditions through the lens of today and updating our, our vision. Now, my guest today is Dr. Roger Teal, who's written a heck of an inspiring book entitled This Life is Joy, Discovering the Spiritual Laws to Live More Powerfully, Lovingly, and Happily. And he does something in this book that I think really does go beyond institutionalized religion that we're going to be talking about here. Now, Dr. Teal is a speaker and global spiritual leader. He holds a degree in psychology and religion, as well as a doctor in divinity. He is in his third decade of service as a senior minister and spiritual director of Mile High Church in Denver. Roger, welcome to the show. Philip, I'm delighted. Thanks for having me on. Well, uh, again, I, I'm lucky that I, I get to uh, read so many inspiring, mind-opening books, and this one is really a good read because it gets you from all sorts of different directions, both with the stories, the messages, the the connections to religion, science. So we'll be talking a lot about it. But first of all, for those who don't know anything about your ministry, which is probably most people who are listening, why don't you t- tell us a little bit about what is different about your ministry than what some people might view as institutionalized religion? Uh, this ministry is um, a spiritual um, path that blesses the mystic truths in all the faith paths. Our founder was Ernest Holmes, and and Ernest had a passion for diving deep um, underneath uh, some of the more uh, pedestrian aspects um, of institutionalized religion into the deep mystical shared truths. And he realized that there are universal spiritual principles that all of these various paths are seeking to articulate and he wanted to, he wanted to bring these forth in a usable way. So, <clears throat> the ministry that uh, I've been involved in for now nearly 40 years has been about trying to build bridges between the faiths, but bring forth even more so bring forth these universal principles and tools that uh, tools that can be used by people uh, to put it to work in their life. Because that's the key thing that uh, our tradition is about is just knowing the truth, but then putting it to work in every area of our life: uh, relationships, career, our health, our our our, our finances, our relationships, every area of our life ought to be benefited by this awareness once we go to work on it. Yeah, and, and for those who don't who don't know Ernest Holmes, now he, he wrote that book, I think, uh, among others, The Science of Mind. That's his epic work, right, his classic right. work. Right, huh? right. And, and that's, that's uh, you know, he was ahead of his time, I think. I mean, he, it's, he uh, at the time, I mean, there's a lot of books right now that could be called The Science of Mind or Something along those lines, but he wrote the, the he was the first one actually that wrote to to write that book, and I have read that book, and it is it does stand the test of time. Uh, I also I also uh, note that what you're talking about uh, does sound something like what the Dalai Lama has been doing with his uh, compassion, uh, the finding a common element among the world's religion, and I believe he's focusing on compassion. And and I know that you talk about the Dalai Lama in your book a lot, but but where does that fit in to to what you do? This this notion of finding common ground. It's it's absolutely uh, integral to it because one of our basic notions 
that we invite people to um, experience and explore is oneness. Uh, the whole realization that rather than this being a universe of fragmented parts and individuals as separated entities scraping for a little bit of the good stuff and competing with others, we hold that all of life, all of creation, the whole cosmos comes forth from a universal intelligence um, and um, energy. Um, it's the divine. It's, it's beyond words uh, to describe, and yet all, all the faith has used words, and yet it's so much more. And so for us to build bridges between faiths is to go back to this essential uh, principle that we're built on, and that is there's only really one ultimate life, intelligence, energy. It's, it's, it's characterized by love and, and the creative impulse, and we're all a part of that. And our, our deepest truth, you and me and everybody listening, everybody, our deepest truth is this spiritual energy of life within us. And so we're one with the Creator. We're one with our fellow human beings, whatever their differences in faith, their appearance, or, or anything, orientation, life, lifestyle orientation, all of that. We're one. The, the truth of the matter is, is that we're never going to unite people much uh, and beginning with religion unless we go a little deeper into these into these truths and it yeah. strike it strikes me that that is one thing that's that's that we have as a problem right now out there and we've had it's not as if this just happened yesterday which is the conflict between religions it's been it's been throughout history but we, we sometimes it seems to me get so caught up in our superficial petty um, battles and skirmishes, you know, the, um, the, uh, the, the neighborhood squ squabbles that we, f we so often forget the, that there is this underlying unity. There has to be, you know, Roger, there has to be a sort of a single spring from yeah. which all uh, faiths uh, uh, come from. I mean, isn't that part of what you're what you're doing here? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah. In, in, in the language of quantum science, it's the field of, of infinite potentiality that, that's characterized by energy and information. Yeah. And, and so we're getting back to this. But you know what? Here's the deal. The ego loves to be right. Right. And it, it needs to be right. And the ego protects its own perspectives. The, the ego in, at the human level even defends against love, the greatest joy in life. Yeah. Uh, so the ego uh, is part of our challenge. And I, I don't think a lot of um, individuals in the more conservative aspects of their faith paths would like me saying this, but there, there was the original mystic essence of the faith paths, the deep revelations and experiences of the enlightened masters who, who were the channels through which that path came forth. And then over time, the path became institutionalized, and that, and that even involved the selections of which scripture are appropriate and how to interpret them, and much doctrine and ideology evolved from that. And a whole lot of that institutionalization um, is where the, the, the ego of the followers, much later than, than these masters, came on board. And, and, and I just think, quite frankly, um, they distort almost always institutionalized evolution of religion distorts the original spiritual essence of it all. Yeah, and it, <laughs> this, this is, a, uh, is a controversial topic um, because of the sensitivity there is in critiquing religion. Um, but on the other hand, it's there's a lot of truth to it. In some ways, it's pretty it's pretty simple in my mind. And this is this is going to be controversial. But the let's taking uh, Jesus Christ as an example, I don't think that he ever intended. In fact, he he specifically said that he did not want to be um, worshipped, and. The goal, I always thought, was to live like a Jesus Christ, not to pray to a Jesus Christ or a statute of him. Uh, and, and then it, be, it gets worse, which is that we tend to like um, try to get in front of the line. We try to be closer to the symbol as opposed to be closer to the spirit or closer to um, his character. And, and, and you could substitute any religious leader in there. But, but uh, I think that 
to me, Roger, one of the beauties of this, I mean, you call it, I think, new consciousness in your book or something along those lines. One of the beauties of our modern world right now um, with all of the uh, books and radio shows and and uh, movies that people are, I think, opening their minds more and starting to see things in this what I would call more promising light. And maybe you could um, weigh in on that, whether you've seen a change over time where people are becoming more open to Absolutely. questioning these, these, you know, the institutionalized religion. I think, I think people are, because we're seeing that time and time again um, throughout history and currently, uh, very often institutionalized religions of one um, ilk or another have been at the heart of conflict uh, and, and tragedies and travesties upon our planet. And, and this was not the intention of, of the, the master teachers, nor of the infinite spirit, call it God, call it love, call it whatever you want, whatever, whatever desire. And so uh, what we get to do, is, and I think that our, we're waking up, and, and why we're waking up is we're seeing all of the continuing crises um, that are being spawned by this. And my dear friend Barbara Marks Hubbard that I, I quote a lot in the book, uh, she says that our crises are our birth. Yeah. And, and something through the crises we're facing is actually being born in human awareness. People are waking up and saying, there can't be just one way. And I think that religion gets toxic when it gets exclusivist. Yeah. When it says there's only one way and everybody else is the heathen or everybody else is rejected of God, going to hell or whatever the case. And that's when, that's when extremism is just a step or two away. Uh, and then, of course, a step or two from there is the violence that we witness so much. And if yeah. you look at even the history of the Christian Church, very violent um, history. Well, um, it's, it's, And even now we see the, the, even the Christian Church struggling with its next level of, of discrimination, which is yeah. against gays and lesbians. Yeah. Well, and so we've yeah. got to take a look at this. Exactly. And I think that this, this is where the future is going. And it's... We're moving beyond. I mean, the crudest way to win an argument is to beat up your opponent uh, or make it worse to kill your opponent. That is the, 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 cr the, the crudest, weakest form of prevailing. And you put it very well in your book when you quoted Abraham Lincoln about destroying enemies. And he says something like, the way I destroy enemy is to make a friend of my enemy. Yeah. And that, I think, says a lot. I really like that one. Because it's basically saying to me, uh, in this context, that if you are following the belief systems, the, the principles of the religion, you're not seeking to make enemies, you're seeking to make friends. And so much we are caught up into the us and them, uh, the, the battles, the adversary, the opponents, uh, and it really, it really is not, not conductive or conducive to um, bringing this together. And, and let's face it, this happens to be probably the biggest issue facing us as a society. Really We're not talking about how many microchips you could put onto a, you know, into a computer or something here. We're, this, is, this is front and center a gigantic issue. And so it needs to be, it needs to be addressed. And um, I'm happy that, you know, Folks like you are writing books like this and doing and you know and doing your work now. Now you're. I, I want to ask you some tough questions here because um, any any book like this uh, also stirs stirs questions and and um, and and issues. And I I'm going to ask you a, a very unfair question, which is talking about love and God is love, and that that's a fundamental principle. A lot of people say it. But what does it really mean, to you at least, to say God is love? You know, I um, have had some experiences in my life, Philip, where I have, in, in, in the case of some woundings that I write about pretty openly, my personal woundings, yeah. I discovered that rather, that they initially felt like I was being broken. But what I later discovered, I was being broken open. And uh, one of the greatest miracles that I've experienced in my life was the opening of my heart. And I'm not talking about a mushy, romantic, oh, I felt a little love one day. Right. No, I, 
I, through um, some wounding in my life, uh, and, and through the assistance of some very advanced spiritual facilitators, had the experience of my heart chakra, that, that vortex of spiritual love at the center of all of us. I had the experience of that um, flying wide open and and experiencing a dimension of love so much more than anything I had ever experienced before, so much more than the definitions my intellectual mind had ever come up with uh, for love. It, it was actually beyond words. <clears throat> and I, I, I could sympathize with so many of the other spiritual writers who, who struggle to find words for these more profound experiences that are available to us when we do go to a deeper place within. So when I say that God is love, I'm saying I'm not saying God is loving. Yeah. No, I'm saying that the divine, that the, the 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 most powerful way we can experience the divine is that it is love, and and when we really open to it, it expands us uh, in phenomenal ways. It heals us, and it also empowers us. I believe that that was the whole um, ministry of that great way shower Jesus is he was such a channel of love that people in his day were blown away by it um, and it, it, the very radiance of it uh, blew them away and then they became healers while, while um, he was around and even for a short time after uh, his, his demise and, and it, was, it was veritably this power of aligning with this, this infinite presence and surrendering to it letting it use us and 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 we were inducted into a depth experience that is both personal and universal at the same time and 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 we become if we're willing instruments of something so profound yeah that that is really well put Roger and that because it was an unfair tough question but it's it has such a depth of meaning to it well, that, you know what, that we tend I, to pontificate you know a lot of people just say these things and it's like it, it's so easy to say the words, but actually um, describing the experience is a whole nother a whole nother thing. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Roger Teal, the author of the new book This Life Is Joy, uh, which which is really an inspiring uh, work of both. Uh, uh, inspiration. I'm sorry. Uh, both of uh, personal anecdotes and um, moral lessons, and some science and uh, psychology. It's it's really a a, a great book. Um, Roger, I I interrupted you a little bit there, but I wanted to comment upon this this God is love thing because you know some of these mantras are spoken, but they're not experienced. And, and well, that, that's so true, Philip, and, and I think that that's why so many individuals uh, are leaving church in its classic form in droves. I, I was recounting the other day that Lenny Bruce said, every day people are straying away from the church and going back to God. Yeah. And yes, because uh, it's one thing to talk about in a very doctrinal and dogmatic and rigid way, here's what is. But it's another thing to throw ourselves open and make ourselves available to what is. Yeah. And, and, and I find that even in some um, spiritual activities, individuals are told, um, the Church knows. You don't know. You're incapable of knowing. You're incapable of having a spiritual experience. So therefore, the Church is the one that's dispensing truth to you, and that's all you need to do. Yeah. And um, I think people are tired of that. They sense, deep within, since we're a part of this, this spiritual life that is the divine, they sense that they're here to awaken to it and become its instrument. Yeah, and there's a connection here with this notion of divine uh, essence. And this is one of the of the elements that is, if I had to pick up a common theme from a lot of my guests in this area, it's this notion of a divine essence, of a human potential. And, and frankly, it could be put in scientific terms, and it could be put in spiritual terms. Uh, mm -hmm. Spiritual terms, we could call it a divine essence, as I just said. And from a scientific perspective, it's along the lines of what is what is the potential of a human? What is where where are we going? Where's evolution 
leading us? Is there a spiritual component to evolution, is, or is it just material? And you know, I uh, I um, talk sometimes about the um, the notion that the evolution of the human body to some people is going to be to unite with the machine, uh, such as Ray Kurzweil. Uh, but I think that the evolution of humans is to unite with spirit. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, yes. so, so, but, but in any event, um, what does it mean to you to say that th- to that we are divine creatures? I know you talk about that, but it's something that again we 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 say, but what does it really mean? Well, um, <clears throat> part of the programming that many have received religiously is first of all that. God is a distant thing, a distant entity, right. uh, usually male, um, and very often um, distant or displeased, um, unpredictable, and that whole kind of thing. And, and the other thing that um, many are programmed with, and that is, is that they were conceived in sin and that they are unworthy. Uh, and uh, I actually reject all of that. I would suggest that the divine isn't a separated entity, but the very ground of divine life, infinite life, out of which all expressions of life and all material forms emerge. And I would suggest that you and me and every precious being is actually an extension and an expression of this universal life, love, and intelligence. And thus we are not fundamentally evil or sinful. We are fundamentally spiritual and whole. And we're journeying, we're like the prodigal son um, in the Bible, the one that left home and, and fell into want, which is what he did. He, he left his, his spiritual anchoring, his spiritual center, and he moved out into the surface world, and he got so caught up in the materiality and all of the aspects of the surface world. And then he realized how shallow that was. He fell to the depths of shallowness, and he, he came home and... and, and uh, I think we're all on that kind of a journey. <clears throat> we've we've moved into the material world. We've identified ourselves according to what we've been raised with and what we've been told. And so people are struggling. They're, they're searching to get back home to deep meaning, to a sense of wholeness, and to a sense of worth amid deep programming that says you're nothing. And and you you may even be rejected by the divine. And and so I would suggest that that it takes courage to explore beyond that. Now, if somebody deeply believes that and it serves them, I say, oh, that's fine. That, right. That's your deal. Go for it. But there's a whole lot of folks who are experiencing a lot of hollowness. And the reason I titled this book, This Life is Joy, is because there's a deep, deep joy that is so much more than surface pleasures, surface happiness. And it's a quality of our being that most folks in our culture have lost track of. And to find it is to find not only joy, but, but power, and maybe at some point we can discuss that whole notion as well. Yeah, and I think that this this is really um, probably, again, one of the more important things that, that we could be talking about, uh, and, and that is um, the, the break with the conditioning of institutionalized religion. This whole notion of being born in sin, I was taught that, uh, when I was younger, and luckily, I had my break at about seven years old. Uh, I couldn't, and I, I yet to understand what sin uh, we're talking about, because I have no idea what this original sin is, and and uh, I I do think that it it sort of um, how can I put this it negatively impresses itself upon so many people. It's like you spend half your life breaking out of this notion. It just goes to show you how powerful religion is, Roger, that Absolutely. that it's had such an impact. And and luckily, I, I think that more and more people are just aren't just aren't doing it. I mean, if if if, if anything else, the sin probably is walking away from your essence. And yes, so, it is. you know, when you think about it, that has to be the ultimate sin, yeah. if there is any ultimate sin, and that is to uh, deny who you've been made to be. Right. But if, if, you, if you have gotten the sense that the divine is love, now, n- not the kind of love that's whimsical, not the kind of love that has conditions and limits 
and can turn on you, but an infinite love, far far beyond what we we can even imagine, much less articulate, then you have to realize it just makes sense, and, and I think some spiritual common sense is in order. It has to make sense that that level of love could not even conceive of a fiery hell, much less consign anybody to it. Yeah. Nor could it envision and breathe spirit and life into an entity and make it fundamentally, essentially flawed. Regardless of the stories of the fall in the garden and all of that, which are, by the way, metaphorical. Right. And I think part of the challenge um, in the institutionalized faiths is, is the literalistic um, interpretation of sacred scripts. Um, and and most uh, of the Bible is really the story of the emergence of higher consciousness in humankind rather than literalistic uh, truths. Yeah, and, and it just shows that we have to update our understanding of our spiritual essence, and this is something that is, is becoming more and more true. For example, with the books um, who... All, all the people that talk to God. I mean, there's more and more books that are in the model of conversations with God. These people that are mediums, they have these messages, the automatic writing. And we're having people who are connecting to the source, who claim they're connecting to the source, and I believe a lot of them, that they are connecting to the source. Well, many of us were raised that the only people who were ever connected to the source... Were, were Jesus Christ, Muhammad, and I'm not sure who else. You know, I mean, there's very few people, but we're having, it, it, sh it shows that we all have that connection. And, and this, and, yep. but, but it leads to, it doesn't lead to building religions around yourself. <laughs> it, le it leads to uh, conveying love and, and striving towards unity. Now, in your book, you talk about the seven pillars of truth, and this is really cool because you've got these seven pillars of truth, and which which nicely aligns with the seven days of the week. And, <laughs> and I and I wonder how that happened, but but I'm not. But we don't have time to talk all about all the seven pillars. But I I'd like you to I'd like to ask you about a couple of them because um it's it's really interesting the way you did this, and of course I'm going to pick ones that are. That are um, that I have a, a, a connection to. You have one. Uh, this world is consciousness, and what what do you mean by that? Well, that it, as um, I alluded to earlier, uh, the world isn't the ultimate reality. Is not material. Uh, reality is invisible. It is energy and intelligence expressing as form and as matter, and so this is helping us get a clearer sense of this unified field of life that we're a part of, and that it is fundamentally an activity of intelligence coalescing to produce and emerge as form and experience. Well, we're caught up in the world of matter, and we're caught up in the world of form, so the important thing is to sense that underlying that is the real world, and that is consciousness. Yeah, the, and isn't it nice that uh, quantum theory has sort of the same conclusion, or at least suggests the same conclusion? It's uh, it's a it's a it's such a neat thing that in what and here's why I think it's so neat. It's it's like you can't get out of that box. <laughs> we we have ourselves the start of a connection between spirituality and science right there and we know that people have been writing about this for decades but but you yourself talk about it what what do you think um the, the whole quantum revolution what effect of any is that having upon you and your in your ministry well it it gives me another platform to link in science you yeah. know it used to be that science and religion seemed to be at war our founder Ernest Holmes said in in the early 1900s that he looked forward to the day when science and religion would walk hand in hand into the invisible. And that, that has happened it, um, as, as Einstein and then the early quantum theorists, Max Planck and others, um, have begun to help us understand this invisible realm that is where matter emerges out of. And so this then becomes um, a tremendous uh, 
boon to spirituality, and especially in the modern era where people are so enamored with with science and its findings. So for it to basically come forth and tell us we're living in a spiritual universe. Yeah, yeah, we're I know. We're living in a non-physical spiritual universe that's characterized by love and intelligence and is constantly unfolding. That ought to that that ought to be the greatest news that anybody's ever heard. Yeah, I I say a lot on this show that that's a truth that has not penetrated the human psyche yet, and I think it's it's uh I don't know how much longer it's going to take. The, the work is clearly underway, and for those you know, quantum theory being the notion that. The world does not exist of little particles, but of energy packets, quantum waves, bits of nothing, dream stuff, whatever it is, it's not little particles. And my own, you know, I, I cover that in my own book, The Collapse of Materialism, a lot. And there's multiple books on this on this topic. But the but the point is, is that there are leading scientists, quantum theorists, who are basically saying that consciousness is at the root of reality, which happens to be the same conclusion you reach, I reach, and so many other of the spiritualistic bents are reaching. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversation Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Dr. Roger Teal, the author of the new book, This Life is Joy, and we're talking about the seven pillars of truth, the one-a-day pillar here. Now, this world is consciousness sort of sort of um, is one of the pillars but it also balances against another one pillar which is this idea is substance so you've got the consciousness which okay the world is not made of matter uh, at its root and then you've got this world is substance so why don't you tell us what that means this this idea is substance well more than just a uh, you know a philosophical um great idea that this world is consciousness, what it leads us to is the opportunity of realizing that then what it means if consciousness is the creative element in the universe and we're centers, uh, our minds are center of consciousness activity, then we're, we participate in, the, in a creative process that is very vast, that we're actually designed to be uh, partners in creating in the inner realm. Um, and that's what having these, these self-reflective conscious minds offers us, but until you understand that everything moves from the invisible to the visible, uh, you don't even get to first base with that. And so what this chapter, the, this idea of substance is all about, is helping to explain some ancient declarations, as Jesus said, as thou hast believed, so shall it be done unto you. When he was trying to describe how prayer could be effective, he said, when you pray, believe that you've received, and you will receive. And, and all of this is saying that there's something about a belief, not just a belief system, but an idea that has moved to a deeply activated, energized level of believing that that's a creative thing in this universe. And we can, we can generate this. And so our ideas, once we, we take them and move them from just the flighty, um, uh, level of happenstance, and, and we pour energy and clarity and feeling tone into those ideas and identify with them. When we shift into and embrace a higher idea, there's the, I believe that there are principles in the universe that activate that idea in its journey of going from um, invisibility to visibility. And, and this, is, this is really what this is all about. Yeah, that's and, and what you've just done there is, I think, sort of articulate pretty close to a metaphysical basis for a lot of the New Age intention uh, experiments and, and, uh, and methods. And what I mean by that uh, is that there's so much out there that says, you know, uh, focus on, on the future or focus on your goal and it will come to fruition. You you use the line in your book, which I wrote down here. Empowered thought thickens into things, which <laughs> yeah. which is which is sort of an alliteration there, but it works. Yeah. Empowered thought thickens into things, and if consciousness is at the root, then that's got to be necessarily true, right? Yeah. And and Absolutely. so this is this is something that I think is necessary here in this new thought world. 
which is finding a logical basis or a metaphysical basis for these things. And, you know, we could talk about quantum theory. Uh, I, my, the, the quantum book that I recommend a lot is The Quantum Enigma by Bruce, uh, Bruce Rosenblum and Fred Kuntner. And I like that book. It's a little on the, um, a little controversial, but he, but they say in there that any description of quantum theory requires consciousness, mm-hmm. and and so you don't necessarily need to build a whole edifice upon quantum theory, but it helps that quantum theory itself supports what we're talking about here. Yeah. So so this this is this is really a cool thing, and I take it, yep. Roger that we're also sort of connecting with your notion of love and divine of, of, and divinity as well. Absolutely. You know, what this offers, uh, beyond its philosophic power, is it offers people a way to improve and, and, and advance their lives. Because what this is basically saying is that if you can take a new idea for you, a new vision, a new dream, and 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 internalize it, give it, energize it, and normalize it within you. Be, begin to believe that not only do I deserve this, but I'm, I'm creating this within myself, that the universe mirrors it into our experience. And I, and I share in this chapter about Nelson Mandela, um, and when he was incarcerated, and how he experienced this, how an idea was just an idea, and it became substantial for him, because uh, he, he, as he was imprisoned and dejected, um, by that, and he spent 26 years in prison. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. Yeah, but, amazing. But he, his first re- reaction was, it's not happening. This liberation, uh, the freeing of my people, it's not happening. And it, it would seem to be evidenced by his incarceration, by the, 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 the tumult that was going on in, in that uh, South African society. He, and so he, he, he reacted according to the appearances, and he said, it's not happening. Uh, but then he, he began over some time to shift from, well, it's to, from it's not happening to it can happen. Uh, so he opened to possibility there. He went beyond the appearances of what was going on, and he said, you know, even despite that, it can happen. And, and that was the realization that anything's possible. And, and a person right now listening could take that great stand that no matter what's going on in my life, anything is possible. Something greater could happen. And so then he kept working with that and developing it, to and it, it, it became for him it will happen, and and he, then he arrived at a greater degree of certainty and ownership of that idea, and even the incarceration and even the stuff going on in his culture, was evidence that it will happen. The crisis even was furthering it to happen, and so he took a stand that it will happen, and then he reached the apex of the creative process when he came to a deep heartfelt place that it is happening. Yeah. It is happening with every uh, murder, with every conflict, with every imprisonment. It is happening. And when he stood in that place, that's when that idea could use him and come into form. And, of course, then he was free and he became president and all that good stuff. But that whole transition of an idea from it's not happening to it is happening, any one of us can use in any area of our lives. That's what this book's about. Yeah, and I think that that's a beautiful message. And now here's here's where I'm at with this. And this this is something I'd like you to comment upon, and that is, I think that there is both a depth and a breadth to that whole notion of empowered thought thickens into things. By depth, I mean knowing who you really are, the depth of your essence, love, spirit, divinity, all that stuff. But there is also a breadth to it, and that is, it's hard to do it yourself. And this is, this is what, or it's harder to do it yourself. And this is where people, the, the great spiritual leaders come in, like Martin Luther King would be an example, and obviously Nelson Mandela, uh-huh. where, where, and Gandhi, where, you, where you, you get the people centered around one of these goals. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so this is where I'm at right now with this, because we, we tend to, you know, when you think about it, the folks that read The Secret and, and want to, and, and therefore focus on winning the lottery, that that is maybe a deeply held intention, but it's doggone individualistic, and it 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 doesn't. It's probably not going to work. At least it, can, it it clearly can't work for everybody, right? So, but anyways, 
What about the breadth of this of of, of this notion? Well, you've what, opened up a very beautiful um, aspect of spiritual community and, and the importance uh, of spiritual community or 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 support groups or any time when people um, of like intention and heart come together. There's an upliftment of all of the members to a space more than they individually are. The part the, the whole is greater than the parts. You know, some of the parts. And, and you know, in, in Buddhism, it's, they talk about the Sangha, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And the Sangha is spiritual community. And I think it's very important, whether it's um, uh, being involved in a group working toward a cause or, or just one's own spiritual advancement, that we recognize that um, we're not here to be lone wolves. Um, as the Hopi prayer says, the age of the lone wolf is over. Yeah. You know, and uh, so now we're here to... Um, draw strength from one another and and grow in that way as well yeah and it and to me to me that's really the message that hasn't really resonated or hasn't really sunk in maybe resonates not the right word sunk in because of our uh, individualistic uh, tendencies and and I don't think there's anything wrong with individualism and I think that that is necessary and I'm a big supporter of it on the other hand I think you you put it somewhere in your book as well about the big mind about mm-hmm. uh, and I think Ken Wilber talks about um, sort of living your daily lives with the small mind but thinking with the big mind or something like that mm-hmm. where where you, you we have to be individuals but you also have to have compassion uh, for our fellow um, brothers and sisters so to speak so that's the ultimate ultimate of being an activated and aware individual is that you know you're not just independent you're interdependent and 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 you bring that kind of compassion and your realization of oneness uh to your to your life so that you don't act in an arrogant or self-centered way you act with the awareness that that you are an expression of of the one life, and that you're a brother or sister to whomever you're with. And, you know, this is this is really good stuff. And and what's so good about it, I think, is that it's so it aligns with so many other themes that we see out there. Because you know, science talks about having a theory to explain everything, and of course, their theory of everything and is a theory to explain the particles and forces leaving out such things as human experience love spirituality and basically anything that's fun and good uh, is not going to be part of the theory of everything but what we're talking about here roger is really a theory of everything where we put all these belief systems together with science Mm-hmm. And we come out with something where everyone could come out a winner. And I, I think that, that that is sort of what this is all about. Now, another pillar that um, got my attention is this journey is surrender, which mm-hmm. I think yeah. is connected to maybe some of the things we've been talking about that. But what, what do you mean by this journey is surrender? Why don't you talk about that for a little bit? You know, <clears throat> I... Um and I also open up the whole book with a fable that I wrote about a seeker who was forcing and manipulating and, and acquiring in the, his outer life. And then when he had achieved all of that but wasn't happy, uh, he started trying to force and move things in his inner life. And, and that whole energy of forcing and trying to determine and make things happen wasn't working. And I won't give the whole story away, but ultimately he met a master teacher that allowed him to discover that he needed first to surrender, and in the surrendering, he would discover that everything he was trying to force and manipulate, that that the opening into mastery in his life was within him, uh, not trying to manipulate things outside of him. And I think that that's the kind of surrender we're talking about. It's, um, it's allowing ourselves to recognize that we're vehicles or conduits uh, for a larger life, and and opening to that, we're, we're, our minds are within a larger intelligence and opening to the impress of that intelligence. So it's not a surrender that's like a sign of weakness and retreat. It's a, it's, it's a flowing with. It's, it's opening into. Uh, it's allowing something to emerge through us even, even greater than we know. In a later chapter in the book, in the next section, which are portals to transformation, 
we take some problem areas in this book and, and I look at them in, in a different light. And one of them is uncertainty. And, and the tap, that chapter is titled, This Uncertainty is Magic. When we learn how to surrender, when we're unsure, we realize, oh, this is fertile territory. When, when I'm uncertain, I'm available to a greater understanding. It's when we're locked up in all our certainties and the way we've defined everything that, that we're closed off to greater revelation, greater understanding. So in a way, surrendering then is learning how to become pliable and, and um, permeable from this larger spirit that we're a part of. So many people, including me sometimes, we try to micromanage our lives as yeah. if we could really decide what the future is going to hold. And, and this is one thing that hopefully I and folks and other folks learn through experience, which is that it, it's basically impossible to... to <laughs> the to, ego loves to control yeah, things. Yeah, I mean, we think we're going to control things. It never happens. I mean, it's like it, it never happens like it's supposed to. People that things actually work out as planned, and, and for example, you know, your career is a good example. I mean, yeah. you know, you want to be... A, a uh, you know a sport a professional athlete or a piano or, or a pianist or something and you wind up being uh, an engineer building bridges or something I mean mm -hmm. it it's just an amazing journey and the the this notion of surrendering to sort of the bigger wave is I think a really neat way of a, a neat perspective. I was interviewing a guest recently, and who said something along the lines of, "She never, she's she's not trying to make decisions anymore. She's going purely on intuition, mm. which, which sounds mm. like the same thing. You know, it's just like well, whatever. And and I and I am exactly the same way. I mean, most of us do operate through intuition, which is very close to this, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. it's. It is. It's exactly that. And, and I think the challenge for a lot of folks is that they have turned the volume down on their inner guidance because they have disregarded it for so long. Yeah. In the book, I tell about a friend of mine who, who thought his whole life was going to be about military service because his grandfather and his dad had been involved in that. And he, he actually had a lot of physical challenges in his youth, and he overcame all of them so that he could get into West Point, and he did. And then he became a ranger and a paratrooper and all this. And, and a bunch of his buddies, when he was stationed in Hawaii, um, were, were going to go see the movie The Longest Day, which is about the D-Day invasion in World War II. And this guy named Bob, he got the ticket counter, and something came over him, and he couldn't bring himself to see the movie. And so he told his friends to go ahead and without him, and he sat out, he sat out on the curb, and he became available. He surrendered to something deep within him that said he didn't want to continue yeah. in military service. And, and, he had to, and he had to make the outrageous choice to honor his this deep inner guidance, even though he was going against his family and even what he thought was the path of his life. Yeah. Who knows it's, if we listened that deeply where life would stare us. Now this guy is eminently successful and happy and is a spiritual teacher right now as well. Yeah. Well it it and it happens to I think it happens to everybody. I think at some point what you really want to do is wants to burst through but but because of this conditioning we have many of us just don't let it happen and, yeah. and 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 then all of a sudden you're at the end of your life or close to the end and you haven't lived and mm -hmm. it's really right. and i think that's that's a lot of the messaging that many of my guests including you and and i say i mean the unexamined life is not worth living you put that in your book i say that almost every show um, and it because it all it all comes down to the same thing. I mean, you you go on you have a nice riff on that whole Socratic maxim where you talk about and I don't have the the, the page here, but you talk about um, you know the un, unexamined belief is not worth believing, and you go on and on with all these things, which which is which is really cool because it's like saying we have these these this opportunity, we have these this this skill set. Our brains, our hearts, spirit, to make our own decisions, to uh, test things ourselves, and just to go along with the flow without stopping is probably probably not a good thing. Mm -hmm. So, so it's it's something that, um, fortunately, I, I see more and more people 
it maybe it's a generational thing, but I see more and more people starting to look inside more and you know go their own way. Absolutely. Well, it's 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 people realizing that they're here to um, be connected with the original cause of their being, and to and, and I think the key thing is trust your genius. Yeah, that's trust good. your genius. Yeah, that yeah. I think I think that's good because I have I have down here about trusting the universe now now again i want i want you to to just talk about some things that you you will on that that you want to highlight from your book but but before i go there there's there's one more thing that caught my attention there's a lot of things that caught my attention i I picked out some of the key things here but you you say look from the fulfillment not for it Mm-hmm. Which I thought was really well put. Can you exp- explain a little bit more what you mean by that? Look from the fulfillment, not for it. Well, that is a part of how we can become more masterful in 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 our involvement in the creative process. If we are looking for something that we want in our life, we're we're longing for something. Then, in our own awareness, we've placed our ultimate desire outside of us and um, later, not now. And if it's true that it's done unto us as we believe in this moment, then by seeing a desire as not here yet, not mine yet, is sabotaging the manifestation of that desire. So what we have to do is remember everything is twice created. First as an idea, an owned and empowered idea within us, which is like a seed that gets planted in the soil. And then secondly, that um, it's created in form. So what that chapter is about is mastering this creating of a spiritual prototype, an activated idea of our desire, and looking from that, looking not for it, because that's saying to the universe, it's not mine yet, but looking from it. Or if you believe in prayer, and I give a description of a different kind of prayer, a kind of a scientific and affirmative prayer, don't pray for things, pray from them. Believing that it's possible for you now, believing that at the internal level it is yours now. And that then activates this process that I talk about all throughout the book, wherein um, the, the idea becomes manifest through us, through us. So you don't separate yourself from the goal so to speak if you 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 sort of um bring it up out of yourself and you imagine that you are you've you're already experiencing it because you have created it through idea and you've sort of filled it in this is sort of like a visualization yeah you make it a living reality within you a very palpable energized living reality and 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 you keep revisiting that this is a lot of the work that Joe Dispenza is doing, is helping people master this whole thing. And, um, and that then, as it becomes more and more real within you, the more and more you're going to find that it's emerging in your outer life. Yeah, and again, this is using uh, a, just a different perspective on things, which is this consciousness-first perspective. We, we talked about earlier about thought thickening into things. And, and this is sort of like a, a skill set for for the new reality or for the the old reality that we're just trying to understand yes uh, which is which is really neat okay so there's a lot in your book and I've only asked you some things but why don't you tell the listeners a, a couple takeaways uh, of topics that we that we haven't talked about for folks that want to bring this this material more into their lives and understand it well, I, I think what I'd love to just speak to is the seventh chapter, which is also the title of the book, and the chapter is the title, This Life is Joy. And, and this suggests that the truth of us and the spirit of us is joy, for the infinite spirit is joy. And what I do is I make a, a distinction between sur- superficial happiness and pleasure and this deep joy, which is, is a deep essence of our being. And um, most people strive to uh, maintain this superficial pleasure in their life. And, and they try to manipulate it, control it, keep the pleasure flowing in their life. But when they're unable to manipulate that, then what most people experience is pleasure is opposite, and that is pain at the, at the human level, the surface level of life. 
and and that's intolerable. And and so then what happens in this syndrome, this pleasure pain syndrome, is most people then busy themselves numbing the pain, finding all the many ways we've come up with to numb that pain. The sad thing is that that cycle is very debilitating. It's led to so much of the addictive process in our culture, and it doesn't achieve this lasting joy that I talk about. And what I'm suggesting is that the great teachers were trying to connect us with a power within us, which is deeply joyous. And no matter what difficulties we're having at the surface of our life, in what's going on in our life, our problems, our heartaches, our losses, our grieving, the great teacher was saying, that's a part of the dance of the surface life. And you got to own it and be authentic with it. And deep within you, there is a joy of being that always maintains itself. And, and you know, the, the surface difficulties and pain will pass, and there's still this joy of being. I talk about when the the Israelites were in a part of their Babylonian captivity and they were sorely oppressed and suffering and working hard. But at night, when their captors weren't around and they were in their encampment, they would steal down to the river where they'd hidden harps and lyres in in the willows and the rushes. And they'd take these harps out, they'd take these instruments out, and they would dance. And, And my question is, do you have a harp in the willows? Do you have that practice in your life where no matter how you're struggling, no matter what's going on, the problems the loss, the grieving, whatever the pain might be at the surface level, have you remembered to dance? Are you still connected with the deep joy of your being that is an eternal thing within you? That's the source of your strength. And and so this is what I really wanted this book to infuse in people is the magnificence of their being and the resources that are within us that are so much greater than whatever's going on outside us in our life. And it's so much more sustainable that's yeah. that's the other thing, and that is something that the American mindset. I mean, uh, I I I'm thinking right now about spiritual sustainability. We talk about you know economic sustainability and environmental sustainability, all of which are great. But but we also need to do spiritual sustainability because that that is something that is eternal, and yeah. and we don't and we don't do enough of that. But I think that. You know, books like yours uh, really sort of sets a platform and and a methodology for getting in touch with who we are. And we're not talking here about a touchy-feely kind of, you know, um, uh, book here or, or messages. We're talking about something that is that is really well-grounded. I mean, Ernest Holmes was as I said earlier ahead of his time and and I I would recommend his book the science of mind I mean I I listened to it in the car and I think it's a it's a book you could you could do that with because it's it's not it's not so uh, how can I put this intricate that you can't follow it if you listen to it um, so so once again um, Roger I uh, want to compliment you on a, on a really really inspiring book I going to ask you to t- tell folks about your website and okay. about anything else uh, uh, that you'd like to mention about how to get a hold of you. Sure. So, uh, my website is Roger Teal with two E's, T-E-E-L, rogerteal.com. And, uh, and then also um, I can be reached through my spiritual community, uh, and that's milehighchurch.org. And the high is just H-I. Yeah. milehighchurch.org. We're in Lakewood, Colorado, a suburb of Denver. Um, a very, very large community, vibrant community, accepting all people, all faiths, all paths, all lifestyle orientations, um, because we just know that everybody is spirit, and we teach a very creative way to live and to um, know the very truth of your being. And I think, again, this is really where things have to be have to be going, because all religions spring from this well. And yeah. I think that that is something that is a truth. It's a scientific truth, and it's a spiritual truth. And I, I'm, I um, am reminded of one of my favorite quotes here by Tagore, and mm-hmm. I'm going to end the show with it. It says, he said, I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I woke and saw that life was service. I acted, and behold, service was joy. So... That says a lot there, and I think that that's really what Roger's book is about, and what and what um, what your ministry is doing, which is sort of providing a deep, well-grounded 
spiritual path for people to connect with their with their uh, true essence and and find real joy this is it's, it's good stuff Roger thanks a whole lot for your for being with us it was a lot of fun and uh, I hope folks pick up your book because uh, I think you'll find it a really good read this is Philip Camella this is conversations beyond science and religion thank you and we'll see you next week been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.